Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 22. On this episode, I have Greg Machinery Pete Peterson on, on my podcast. Um, Greg was on my very first one back in May, so I wanted to reach back out to him and, and um, see how things had changed uh, since, since May and what the uh, end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter might look like. So, Greg, thanks for being back on my podcast. Hey, no problem, Casey. Thanks for the invitation. Always yeah. fun to talk. Well, I always enjoy having you on. It's, it's a big honor to have you on my podcast, and and uh, you have a you have a good following of people that that really lean on your uh, on your opinion and, and and your market analysis. So let's just jump right in there. Um, seems like we're coming into that uh, that time where you're going to start seeing a lot more auctions and stuff kind of take place than, than what you've seen earlier in the year. Noticed a lot of sell bills here as of late. That there's going to there's a lot more equipment out there um, going to be on 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 auction than there's been in the in the past months or so. So. What do you see happening in the auction market, and, and uh, what do you see as far as uh, the ramp up towards the end of the year goes? Yeah, I think you're spot on, Casey, in terms of the number of auctions. Uh, definitely will be more activity here uh, late October, November, December. Uh, I've just noticed the last 10, 12 years that that year-end really has become kind of like sort of the time, I think, maybe to sell. I think at the farmer level, if you're thinking of retiring, you know, they just paid attention, <clears throat> hopefully, to some of the stuff we were reporting over the years. And, you know, back when there was more money flowing through the system, uh, of course, the farmers were very motivated for tax write-off purposes, Section 179. So that kind of became ingrained. And I, I've told people, and I, I, I mean it when I say it, but if I were a farmer and I were having my retirement sale, I would do it the first half of November. And I, I think if you try to maybe get out a little bit ahead of the crush. You know, December, particularly the middle two Saturdays in there, get really, really busy. A lot of wholesale auctions around the country. If you can get ahead of that, and particularly if you have nice, clean, good condition stuff, you know, that stuff will perform fairly well no matter when you sell. But I just think it does a little better. So it'll be interesting to see this year how those sales uh, – and I, I guess I've always just enjoyed the day-by-day process because we don't know until tomorrow on sale day what everything's going to bring. So, right, yeah, and that's I've, I've said a couple times on the podcast that I think this is the year if you were going to try to have a, a retirement auction and you had some late model low-hour stuff that was in really good shape, um, this would be the year to try to do that because of the. It seems like on the dealership side of it that we. Uh, aren't having those inventories on our lots yeah. like we've had in the past. And, and there's not a lot of that um, kind of like it was in, in 14 and 15 where you had so much competition from the dealership side of stuff coming to the auction marketplace. Right. There's not a lot that there. So are you seeing kind of the same thing with that? And, and that might be a, a good opportunity for some people. Absolutely. You're, you're advising people very well with, with that uh, take on it, Casey. That's exactly what we're seeing. Uh, yeah. 14 and 15 into early 16, we saw so much dealer equipment on the wholesale auction market. And we understand why. I mean, the market was just adjusting and dealerships were, you know, doing the, the hard, painful work of, you know, getting out from under. And it just seemed to me like once we hit about the middle of 16, the, the volume of stuff from dealers at auction just was much lower, which is a, a good thing, a healthy thing. Mm-hmm. And the other thing I look at too, it, it's interesting. I go around the country and, you know, folks come up to me and they, they'll they say, I understand why they say it, but they'll say, machine repeat, oh, I think it must be really tough. Use value's got to be falling. And, it, you know, I, I listen to the question and it's, 
we, we wish commodity prices were higher and there was more profit, but it's interesting. And we've talked about it, Casey, but what I've been seeing with our data that we compile, which I don't, we just compile the numbers and then we try to make sense of them, but started to see, you know, the drop off in the falling prices level off very late 15 through 16. And it's, it's kind of held. I mean, it is a good opportunity now with sales of new being slower and the farmers and you got to keep farming and they need good quality equipment for no downtime. So what I've been seeing is one of the really nice stuff, even the big late model stuff, you know, 300 horse tractors, combines, one of the nicest stuff shows up at auction. The price is paid. Yeah, they aren't as high as they were late 12 or early 13, but, but they aren't falling further. That's, that's what I'm seeing. So I think there'll be demand, pretty decent buyer demand end of 17, early 18 for the nicest condition stuff at auction. Yeah, and I, I'd agree with that. I mean, it seems like uh, when we get something in that's the that's late model, low hour stuff, and and we have it priced competitively in the marketplace, um, we normally don't have too much of an issue, um, kind of pushing it out. But there again, it, it is a uh, the price to use equipment anymore. You know, you're looking at three plus hundred thousand uh, dollar value of equipment, and it's just you know. Finding that guy right. that, can, that wants to come out and buy that used piece for that kind of money in today's marketplace is is right. it's a struggle sometimes, but you know that's part of the business. Right. You know it's interesting. Uh, we we travel the country for U.S. Farm Report. We you know we filmed um, we were Prairie Land back a number of months ago, Casey, and uh, we stopped with dealers all over the country. And I've had a number of them over the past six to eight months when we've been talking about combines specifically. We'll talk about um, the they call it surprising success they've had moving out the maybe slightly older models one model series older like your seventy series deer um, again contingent upon getting that price you know again we wish it was higher but if if it gets into that range it'll move I know um, two weeks ago we were down in uh, we let's see it was Western Missouri. With Heritage Tractor, those good folks down there, they just flat out said, we, we can't believe how many used older combines we've moved this year. It surprised the heck out of us. But they, you know, you got them into that price range, and we saw a similar thing with, with our Machine Repeat Black Friday sale event, which we put together on really short notice. Um, Kevin Doyle, our CEO, and our team, Brad Long, did a real nice job reaching out to dealers and just, you know, we're just trying to help Hope you guys move stuff in different ways at the highest price point possible. And what we found with this Black Friday event was that a lot of stuff moved, but like we've talked about a lot, Casey, it, you know, farmers, if the price is right, they'll jump it. And again, we wish it was a little higher, but you got to move stuff. We've had a lot of dealers tell us they've had success maybe running specials. Uh, special prices and not taking so much to auction, which again is a which is a good thing. Well, I think right now a lot of dealers have, <clears throat> from a uh, from an inventory perspective, that most guys are are in a very manageable spot. You always have, you know, you can always move equipment, use equipment. Right. You know, you need to move it as fast as you can. But it seems like to me when you look across there that the bulk of the dealers have have right sized their inventories for the the situation that we're in, 
and and are, are doing are doing some pretty good stuff. Um, it seems like to me when with you know working with Aaron Fennell and, and Joel Aarons and those guys at our at our uh, on our wholesale side of the business where they're working with dealers day to day that it is getting to be a uh, kind of a more widely accepted trading equipment for other stuff that might be have might have a hole in your inventory mm-hmm. you know we're seeing a lot of that so um right right but it seems like to me also that when you start looking at equipment that the, the equipment that's here now compared to what it was in 12 13 and 14 that the uh there's a lot more hours getting put on equipment on a yearly basis than there was in the past you seen kind of you feel the similar thing when you look at maybe some older you know yeah high horsepower row crops and, and maybe some of the smaller eight R's and, and even the into like utility tractors. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's just a reaction to our reality market reality, you know, guys put more hours on them. And I think that's partly why when we see what's perceived to be, you know, really lower hours stuff show up at auction, whether it's a wholesale auction or a farm auction, online auction, we're seeing strong pricing. So, you know, it doesn't matter what color. I know there was an example recently, and Stephas had a sale up towards where I grew up, Western Minnesota, and I was intrigued because it was an online auction, which we're seeing more online farm auctions. They aren't the, the consignments, but this is just still a farmer retiring, but it's an online only event. And they had, I think it was a 2013 uh, KSH 550 quad track, but the hours were low. And, you know, I just do my thing. I compile it. So 233 is what it brought. So we compare back. And the 233, I think it was the highest in like 21 months, which I find interesting because, again, you know, it's tough. It's tough now. Like you say, finding the buyers, you're up over 200. But here came along maybe the nicest one guys thought they'd see for four, six, seven months. And it it was obviously competition there. And, you know, it brought what it brought. And, again, that's when I compare it to all the other 550 quad tracks we've seen that 233 again was the highest in almost two years and that i've seen that so many times casey over the last six months where we'll get a price it doesn't matter what it is but when we look back that like 20 to 35 month range which would get us back you know a little over a year and a half so we're getting back to what um you know start of 16 maybe start of 15 to 16 so here we are, you know, middle of 17. And again, for the nicest stuff, we're seeing prices like that. So when you look look at the uh, auction market now, what do you see as some of the, um, going in through the end of the year, that some of the machines that might be segment-wise, that might be, a, might be a big winner and some that might you might be hitting a uh, maybe a, a soft bottom that and you still need to watch as far as values go? Well, uh, great question. In fact, I it's perfectly timed too because I actually just finished yesterday uh, the underlying work on what we call our machine repeat use value index quarterly report. And this is basically where we take all the auction price data and we break the used equipment market down by category. So four wheel drive, you know, up over two hundred horse, one to two hundred horse, under one hundred combines, hay tillage, all that stuff, and and then I also try to put an overall index rating, which is that's tough because you're, you're lumping everything together. But I did it, and we, we, we have this 1 to 10 rating scale just to try and keep it simple. And the second quarter 2017 overall index rating we had was 6.6. And the third quarter 
dip just a little bit to 6.5, but really that little dip is actually in the report. I said that's a win for the used market and the health of it because historically the third quarter is the softest time of year to sell at auction. Your pre-harvest guys are, on, you know, you aren't quite sure how you're going to come out. You just, I think it psychologically tends to be a back off period a little bit. In the last five years, the average drop in the third quarter on my one to ten index has been 0.4 points. So again, this quarter just dropped 0.1 point. And then if you get into the individual categories, kind of what we saw, Casey, was most of the large stuff, four-wheel drive category, up over 200 horse tractors, combines, they all fell that same 0.1. So just a teeny little drop. And really, if we parse that out further, what was driving the little drop, again, because we cover all types of equipment sold at auction. And what we're seeing is the nicest stuff is holding, but the average condition or high, you know, like you said, we're seeing more higher, higher hour stuff hit the market. And we understand why, but that higher hour average condition stuff, that is sliding a little more. So that kind of pulls down a little bit because I have to account for that in this overall report. But some of the hotter sectors, relatively speaking, is sprayers, self-propelled sprayers have kind of the last three quarters have gone up quite a bit. Um, just a little jump in third quarter. Now, they've, all, they've come up from the basement, basically. On my 1 to 10 scale, it was like 5.4 or 5.5 for like years. No, nothing. It was just tough, right? Tough to find that second buyer. But the last year, it's loosened up, and now it's climbed the sprayer rating to 6.4. So it's still not up. And for perspective's sake, on this 1 to 10 scale, I consider 6.0 kind of like the baseline, kind of what I call stable or normal use values. Now, you know, your listeners know <laughs> there is no normal, right, for the use values. But I'm just an old dude. I've been doing this 28 years, so that's my take on average. So the other ones that rolls a little bit, garden tractors, which we track, they, you know, the summer, so kind of expected there was a lot of rain around certain parts so we saw pretty strong pricing there skid steers uh have been getting a little better um but mostly just kind of holding across the categories is what we're seeing yeah i think i feel the same the same way about what you said um there even though it is a little tougher now than it was um you know, when times are good and it's, it's a lot easier than it was during, during the slide of 15, you know, but I really feel like there is some stabilization in the marketplace. I don't really feel like I'm going to wake up tomorrow and be surprised by a value in that auction. You know, um, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see that, <clears throat> that there's really a, uh, I call it a soft bottom. You know, I still think there's mm-hmm. probably some room yeah. for some more, some more shrinkage in the marketplace, but right now it just, it feels like it's, Every day it gets a little firmer than it was the day before, and there are segments that I feel are are uh, are a little softer than than others, and and a little more maybe less predictive than than maybe some. Right. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and I should ask you, Casey, if I can quote you on that soft bottom. I like that. That's a good. <laughs> that's a good term. You don't have that copyrighted, do you? No, no. Quote, quote away. It's, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, I I asked you at a recent. Uh, meeting we were at your great event there about planters. I'm kind of uh, fascinated by 
you know, through the new, what's happening with new sales down through the market back to the older ones. I, I've heard a number of dealers talk about, you know, the local customer desire to buy new, but then the problem of, you know, gosh, that trade in and making the money just doesn't work so well. So, um, when we track planner pricing, again, that's one of the categories that's been down, uh, understandably under six for quite a while. You know, the big 24, 48-row planners have been tough, but we actually saw them get a little higher end of 16, fourth quarter. They went up a little bit. Um, and I'll be interested to see end of this year what happens with, with used planners at auction. That, I don't know what your feeling is. Yeah, if that's the one segment of the of the used equipment marketplace that I have, I'm the most jacked about. I mean, you start taking a look at, the, the number of planters that got sold over the last three planning seasons, and it was next to none. You know I mean? It was it was way down. Right. And um, right. coming out of 14, so 15, 16, um, even in 14 some in some instances, but 15, 16, and 17 planning years, those model year plant there weren't that many sold. So couple that with 14 to 15, a lot of used planters got pushed out to, mar- uh, to market via auction, and a lot of dealerships right. were left holding – you know, no, no used inventory at all. So my, my enthusiasm with, with planners this year came from, we can really generate our used marketplace back in our, in our collective right. areas with, you know, five or six or seven, even maybe 10 used planners. You can put those out there and, and have people involved in them. Now, that being said, the new planner is an, is an amazing planner that John Deere put out. It's an awesome planner and, mm-hmm. and it has a lot of technology and the amount of, you know, of speed that you can do. I mean, you can use a smaller planter now and, and plant as much acreage as you can with the, with a big 24 row planter. Mm. If I dare use the word conventionally, you know, uh, the way right. with, with the uh, non high speed planter. So that's where my enthusiasm came from. You, you had something to go out and talk to a guy about planters and, and the way it looks, we sold more planters this year than we did uh, probably the last three years combined. And so mm. we're, we're going to have wow. some used inventory coming in and it's going to be, the inventory we have coming in is going to be a range of, um, you know, 10 year old planters up to three or four and five year old planters. So, I mean, there's going to be a good mix in there and the pricing is going to be good too. And that, that's where it's going to fall into that niche pricing that a lot of guys are looking for. That's, uh, that's fascinating. Casey. I, you know, 28 years tracking this stuff, there's always kind of like an equal and opposite reaction, I suppose in any market. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so when sales of new were slow, and like you said, back up years ago when, when dealers were pushing excess out on the auction market, I remember it was November of 15. I felt uncomfortable doing it, but I, I was I felt strong enough that I felt I had to. <clears throat> I wrote a column for Farm Journal Magazine to farmers, and I just said at the time, you know, I understand that it's a difficult environment, profit pressure, we get that, but I just said, you got to keep your eyes open here because you, this is the time to be a buyer. When, and whether that's going out to auction because there was more available or, you know, we, we were purposeful in messaging to call your local dealer because there's some, you know, great opportunities. And we certainly, I mean, I'm the son of a dealer. I understand that farmer needs you guys. You guys need the farm. It's a great relationship. You have to keep that strong. Farmers know that. But that was an opportunity. And this morning, you talk about opposites. I was reading about the wildfires in Napa Valley. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of struggling with it because I thought, well, now 
I thought it rained out there a lot earlier this year. And the story said it did rain, but what happened is that made all the underbrush grow. So then you got all this greenery came up, and then it dried out this summer, and now you got all this fuel. So equal and opposite reactions. So um, like I say, when we talk planters, it's, and I, I know farmers are interested in that, in the new technology and they, they're ready for it. So yeah, hopefully conditions will, you guys can keep rocking around the sales down there. Yeah. And hopefully we'll see values go up on the use side too. Yeah. And I think well, we're going to see some of that, some of that rise. I think a lot of sales right now in this, this year, uh, I talked to a lot of dealers and, and they're, they're all kind of saying the same thing with, with the new orders that they had coming out this year. There's really not a lot more profitability for for the on, for the farmer this year than there was maybe last year but i think what's sure. driving a lot of guys to go out and trade right now um is the fact that they have they're, they're looking at some pretty sizable reconditioning bills that they're gonna have to start looking at yeah know, like those planters you know you got planters that normally were traded in every year every other year and they might have you know four thousand to, to ten thousand acres on them um, some of these, on these, some of these bigger operators, and and now you're looking at the same stuff, where they might have thirty thousand acres on them, and right. rebuilding all the row units now is is kind of something they're faced with instead of replacing right. some blades here and there or some coulter wheels or whatever it is that they're that they normally would just kind of sort of have to replace every once in a while. So I think the combine market was the same way. A lot of that was driven mm-hmm. by um, one new combine, new technology. Um, a lot more automation, um, a lot more kind of kind of kind of you can put anybody you want in there. I had a guy tell me that one guy's driving factor for getting the new combine was he could put his 80 year old dad behind the combine now right. and not have to really hmm. worry about him jumping in and out of the combine a whole bunch to get stuff set and check things and those kind of things because it was going to tell to right. him, you know, um, right. sometimes you can take the the man off the farm, but you can't take the farm out of the, out of the man, you know? Oh, exactly. So I've heard, uh, I've heard so many stories over the years, Casey, about, uh, usually it's around a tractor, like a 4960 or something like that, where the guy who buys it, you know, when you see a low hour one, and of course, you know, farmers are willing and able to pay premiums for a nicest 55 series or the 60 series. But quite often when you get talking to them, they'll say they bought it for dad Mm -hmm. and dad's 84. And it was his favorite tractor, and they just want to keep Dad happy on the farm. So it's yep. kind of a cool little uh, thing we see out there quite often. Yep. But, yeah, how, how cool with the new combines that yep. Bob can sit up there and be 80 years old and keep cranking. Yeah. So I think I think that's going to drive a lot of that stuff, too. It's it's not so much that they're out looking at the new equipment and, and the efficiencies that it creates, although that is going to be a big part of their decision um, with the speed that they had, especially with the last three or four planting cycles that we've had how hard it's been to get the crop in in a timely fashion across the corn belt and in the soybean belt and, and, and even right. in the wheat belt that they now have a, have an, you know, an even faster option to, to get stuff planted. Right. And Hey, one, uh, one question I want to bounce off you, Casey. Yeah, I can't remember if we talked about it when we get a chance to hang out, but just, you know, coming off of that period we came off of, of like 2007, eight through, you know, early 13 and 14 when a lot of new iron was bought. And so basically, if you pull back, farmers got used to running a lot of new equipment after a period maybe where it wasn't as new. And I guess I was interested just because as things have slowed down, I remember in 13, 
and 14, I, I'd go around the country and I'd hear farmers, you know, I'm hanging out at the auction, you just hear what they say to you. And they'll say, well, I'm good. I, you know, I'm good for a while. I don't need anything. But I also know that they've got used to running new equipment and everything that goes with it. The great service, the warranty, everything. Just curious your perspective as we've drifted farther down the pike here, knowing farmers, what, if that's been a piece of the puzzle here as they look to jump back in or, like you say, avoid the repair bills or how you look at that next? Well, I think a lot of our customers that we, we deal with, a lot of them have, uh, you know, they were probably traditionally used buyers to start with and then mm-hmm. they made a bunch of money and then go out and get a whole brand new fleet of stuff now. Um, yeah. And, of course, they were like, all right, we get stuff back into warranty now. We have all these different options now that we can have. Um where I saw with a lot of these guys that traded in that, that stuff, one or two year old stuff, and then bought maybe even some one or two year old used stuff again, what they were more interested mm-hmm. in than the machine was the was the power guard warranty that they were gonna get. Right. So the extended warranty they're right. gonna put back on the machine is what they were really looking for. Um yeah. our traditional large producers, you know, that that have massive fleets, they they're still trying to roll their stuff every year and still trying to keep that stuff in uh in warranty. Right. Um but that being said, we have a lot of guys too that are that are bigger traditional guys that have started looking at, you know, two year leases on on their fleet instead of instead of rolling stuff every year. You know, they'll do a segment of their stuff right. that way, and they'll do a segment of their stuff the other way. And but I think more than anything is that everyone's trying to control their downtime as much as they can, and right. they're looking for that and and trying to be as aggressive with their uh, controlling their overall costs so, as much as they can. You know, the, the leasing thing is interesting because I get asked about that all the time. You know, from my vantage point, we're filing auction prices. And I guess one thing, positive sign is we haven't seen a ton of auction listings where you're looking at a barrel load of off-lease stuff at auction. I saw that in the, in, the, in about 2000, 2001, and that those auction prices were terrible. Right. And I haven't seen that now, but I wonder two things. One, <clears throat> will the, will the farmer your customer just become more comfortable with the lease approach? And two, just, I mean, what do you, it seems a lot of dealers we talk to are really having a lot of success with buying off lease, turning it into a little profit center. And so the whole lease thing, Wall Street asked me, they're thinking, God, this is a horrible problem. And I'm like, oh, stuff is moving. I don't see it clogging things up terribly. Yeah, what's your take? No, I think it's, that's exactly what you said. It's exactly right. I mean, when I look at, the lease return business for us is, is a good business for us. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. try to buy what we can to fill holes in our inventory and, and you know, support right. our customers with that stuff. I think leasing will become a, a bigger and bigger part of a business than it has been um, in the past. You know, you know, at, at my remarketing meeting that we had in Nashville, you know, there was a guy that was mm-hmm. talking. I don't know if you saw that presentation or not, but the 30-year cycle of, of agriculture that he put up, he put up on the – uh, Mike Pearson put that mm. on there. It is doing, and basically we're at the bottom right now of the uh, the thirty year cycle, and we're going to work our way back up. And I think mm. cash flow is getting to be a bigger uh, part of right. of guys. So I look at leasing. There's no cheaper way to run a piece of equipment than than uh, cash flow or yeah. than, than lease, and how that affects your cash flow and and what that looks like from a from a traditional note perspective all the way through to uh, to a leasing perspective and. And sometimes, in a lot of cases, you save ten or fifteen thousand dollars a year by doing that, or more, by leasing a piece of equipment. Okay, what I'm interested in again, because I growing up 
with the phone ringing at night and being dealer and you know the farmer dealer relationship. So all these years I've covered auctions. You know, you go to some dude's farm retirement sale, and there's pride. Of, okay, pride of ownership. This is my combine. This is my tractor. This is my planter. I took great care of it. You know, Midwest farmers won't say it, but they're proud, they're proud of their stuff. They work their ass off to take care of it. It's it's a piece of who they are. So now I could totally see when three four years down the road here. You know, when you're sitting with the farmer, you have the relationship. Are you finding that's resonating more, the pencil to paper cash flow, that's becoming more to the front? Yeah. Over, I don't want to say overriding the price of ownership angle, but. I think the next generation that's coming into farming right now grew up with, I mean, really for 15 years, there were some soft times, not 15 years, but the majority of that yeah. time was a best year ever. You know, um, right. and they didn't really have to worry about. Never really saw Dad worry about cash flow issues. You know, whatever he needed, went to right. the bank, gave you the money. It was pretty simple. It was a pretty seamless transaction. Um, right now, I don't think we're going to have you know seven dollar corn and, and sixteen or eighteen dollar beans again. I don't see that's going to happen anytime soon. So that on farm income yeah. isn't going to be just backing up Brinks trucks to people's farms anymore for a while, you know, it's going to be, um, it's going to be continued to be a, to be a a deal. So I think there's going to be, um, the, the cash flow thing is always going to, it's going to be there and it's going to be there to stay. Now the pride of ownership thing, I've had several conversations with guys over the past two years that have been, I will never lease anything as long as I live because I'm going to own my stuff. Right. And six months ago, Seven months ago, I had a conversation, well, almost a year now, a year ago, I had a conversation with a gentleman that the previous year said he'd never rent or lease anything as long as he could because I'm not going to just throw my money away and yada, yada, yada. And he now, right. he has about six pieces on his farm that he leases, you know, right. so never hmm. for a long time. Well, that's, now, like, it's really interesting if you take that ground truth, which, you know, is true. I mean, you just saw guys that said they would never, now they are. Yeah. So if you float that up to the manufacturer level, how does that change going forward? I mean, does it? Um, you know, deer controls production. I certainly try to control production. Um, and nobody knows where the demand level is going to come from based on commodity prices. Who knows what they're going to do? But I just, I find it kind of fascinating because I'm, I'm seeing the same thing when I travel around. <clears throat> People that would never have leased before now happily do so. Yeah. And I guess same thing with the housing market. It used to be, oh God, why would you rent? You're throwing your money away. Well, yeah, until you go through the Great Recession, and then people are like, holy cow, I'm worried. So renting all of a sudden became the thing. Right. Yep. So it's a uh, cycles and everything, I guess. Yeah, and I think from manufacturing, I mean, I can't really speak for them, but my my two cents on that is that that they are they're controlling their used inventory through via lease returns. You know, I mean, dealers are buying that stuff. Right. Um, they're also the, the beautiful thing about a lease return, at least and the lease return is like, you know, when it's coming back. So you can, right. you can start kind of making those plans as, as to what you're going to do with that piece ahead of time and start right. kind of looking at planning out, you know, okay, so in three years, we've got these, these many pieces coming in or in five years or two sure. years or whatever it is, you, you kind of know, it's kind of like knowing when you're going to die and how you're going to handle that. You know what I mean? So you can you can take that. that. Nice yeah. <laughs> so you know what you have, what's going to come in, and what that looks like. And and right, I'm pretty positive about the overall lease as a whole. I think there's 
there are some segments I think maybe there are some concern about, but I think overall there's a, a pretty positive reaction. To yeah, that was one of the things I, I one of the points I made in this quarterly report, our index report coming out uh, like next week is that again because the investment community is always asking me about oh my god this lease return problem, and I I just said you know it I just don't think it's as much of a problem as we one thought it was going to be, and the stuff is moving. I guess when we waited into this, when the off lease stuff first started to become available back, I was just curious, you know, John, their financial and whoever, you know, what's the motivation here? Are you trying to get top dollar for every single piece that you're moving off lease, or is the motivation, let's get this stuff the hell out? Yeah. And that, to me, is, you know, again, easy for me to say, I'm not a manufacturer, but move it. It's just like growing up in the dealership, you know, that was always dad's philosophy. Of, let's let's move this stuff. If I made a mistake or whatever, let's just move it and go forward. And so when we travel the country filming with dealers, you know, we ask them how they approach leasing and off lease. And it just seems like more guys have been saying, oh, yeah, we, gosh, we, we just bought six four-wheel drives and moved them and made some money. And so do you think the leasing... How do you feel about it now compared to 12 months ago? Would well, my question to you, Casey. I think 12 months, even 18 months ago, I was I was really worried about leasing and, and the lease return stuff that right. was coming in because there was nothing moving anywhere. You know, either it was at the dealership or from the various people that were that were holding lease returns, whether it was JF or CNH right. Capital or right. uh, you know Farm Credit, whoever it was that had this stuff. They weren't. It wasn't going anywhere. But now, I think the overall farm economy has really kind of all right we're at a kind of a even though it sucks we're at a we're at a, we're at a stable place you know when it comes to yeah. looking at value there's not this huge slide in, in values anymore that they were constantly having to worry about so i think there's probably right. i mean i think i'm not so concerned i'm not as much concerned about it as as i was you know 12 18 months ago okay interesting yeah, i just i keep trying to watch and, and talk to people around the country and it's uh yeah, it's, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see the leasing thing going forward. Yeah, that becomes a bigger piece of the ongoing puzzle. Yeah. So I think, I just think it's going to be, I don't think you're going to see like everyone's going to lease everything, but it's going to be maybe some of the stuff right. that they're going to use and, and start looking at, you know, putting hours on maybe a, like a, I don't know, maybe a, like a loader tractor, something like that. You might see that right. being leased right. more than, than that, or maybe row crop tractors, stuff like that. I still feel like combines and, and bigger four-wheel drives and stuff like that are going to be, I'm going to own that stuff kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. the, the smaller everyday stuff that they're just going to jump in and jump out all day long, it's probably going to be more of a, in my opinion, mm-hmm. that's, that's going to be, be the right. least stuff. But yeah, okay. I've read a lot of articles too about every other industry, whether it's, copiers or or cars um if they 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 have a perceived problem with leasing and and lease returns coming up i mean there's going to be i guess 2018 2019 2020 the number of cars that are coming back from lease uh are going to be i guess through the roof so they're anticipating a big drop in used values of of vehicles so you know who knows what's going to happen yeah it's uh that's why i've always been a huge fan of theory opposites because you get the, whatever, again, whether it's copiers or cars or combines or whatever, it's, it, it seems to me that there's a, the, the opportunity lies in the, in the trough. Right. And that before things go up, now it's, 
easy afterwards to say, or it's easy to talk about the theory of opposites and being aggressive when nobody else is. But I, man, I just, the classic one, we talked to farmers all over, and I was actually at a land conference uh, last year speaking a little bit, touching on machine values. But um, when you interview, which we do for our TV show, we interview all these old farmers, 80, 90 years old retiring. And, you, and if you ask them, what would you, anything you would have done differently looking back, everyone to a man says, well, yeah, I should have bought more land. I figured it couldn't go up. So it's uh, just training yourself to be aggressive when market conditions are telling you otherwise, which that's why I think it's important to know when values in whatever, land or machinery, when they, when they quit tanking and when they level, that soft bottom you were talking about, that's an actionable point, I think. And so we'll, we'll just keep watching going forward to see if, you know, these bottoms hold or do they drop or do they go up. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, I mean, I watched I watched a documentary the other day on on Warren Buffett, and he, they were, he was talking about the only time he really likes to invest money is in, is when everybody else is getting out, and that's when he wants to perfect. Yeah, you know, so he's got a pretty good yep. track record. So I I think his theory is pretty pretty good. Yeah, Warren, not a bad guy to listen to. Uh, the other way, I, you know, we all have our personal examples. So if you remember before the housing crisis, my father-in-law. They used to go on Florida every year. They rent a condo, you know, get away from the Minnesota winter or whatever. And this was about 07. He said his neighbors down there were almost heckling him, saying, well, Ron, you're an idiot. Why don't you buy two or three of these things? They're going up. Like you, I mean, it's printing money. And he's a conservative Minnesota guy. And he, he said he almost did. Almost bought one or two, but he didn't. And then, of course... The economy crashes, whatever, you know, right when ag was going up. But so then those condos that were selling for five hundred thousand, whoop, now they're worth two ten. So just like a combine or a tractor in, in our world. But okay. um, yep, when when everyone's doing something, I think Warren would probably say run the other way. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I, I think I'm pretty positive. I mean my theory and I got a lot of this from, from the speakers at, at the meeting in Nashville uh Right. Three four weeks ago was that we're not out of the woods, but we're not, you know, we're, we're on our way out of the woods. You know, things aren't going to get any better, yeah. but they're not going to get any worse either. And we got about another two three years of, of this before we um, kind of come out on the other side. And, and what does that look like when you come out on the other side? And and right. you know, I don't. Know, I th- I'm pretty positive. I mean, I think I think we're going to make some good things happen. It's still going to be tough. It's still going to be hard. We're still going to be dealing with guys that have. Um, issues getting um, the money they need to, to plant their crops and their operating at capital and those kind of things. I mean, I don't foresee that being right. any, any change, but, um, you know, it's kind of one of those things. This is my, my dad's in the oil field business and he, he preached to me my whole life never to go into the oil business because it was too volatile and he never knew what the next day was going to bring. Mm-hmm. So I, I chose the next best thing, farming, you know, agriculture. <laughs> you know, you know, so, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it was it was uh, one of those things where I, I, a couple more years uh, of kind of where we're at, and, yeah. and then you know we'll see right. what happens. See what right, happens. right. It's uh, yeah. Hey, we don't know what the future is going to bring, and that, and again, that's a, a, almost three decades now. I've been compiling this data. One thing I, I I do like about the auction price data is you know we don't have to like the price point, but it it's kind of. Uh, 
hard proof. I mean, we put whatever it is we put up for sale, whether it's a 36-year-old, 22-inch planter that's one-year-old, hardly any acres, what's it worth? Well, someone's going to tell us what's their checkbook today. It, this is not based on an algorithm. It's, it's just bang. This area, you know, west central Nebraska today, southeast Minnesota today, this type of auction, these specs on it, boom, hard cash, what's it worth? And then, and then the bird come trail. Is that up? Is it down? Is it holding? Um, hopefully, you know, I think it's funny today with all these analytics, everyone's trying to get predictive, which, I, which is a great goal, you know, trying to take the past and make better decisions on going forward. So hopefully our data can do that. And, you know, but if farming's a, Fascinating industry for sure, ups and downs. Yeah, there's never a dull moment. I mean, you're always kind of keeps you guessing that. But I will say this about the auction market: there are more people watching auctions now than there have been in the past three years. I mean, there's there's a lot of guys that are mm. farmers, dealers, jockeys, analysts, you name it. They're they're paying attention to auction. Right. Well, one thing on the auction market. <clears throat> I think we, we talked about this at your awesome uh, meeting you had, Jason. Yeah, thanks for doing that, creating that event. This is fantastic for all of our knowledge and sharing. But uh, one of the things we've tried to do is machine repeat, you know, because we got all this auction price data. And for years, I've known a key piece of the puzzle was what type of auction did it sell at? And whether it's a farm sale, consignment, dealer auction, or online. So our, our team has developed these filters. We're actually now with our data, you can parse it. You can filter it. And, you know, while we we're talking here, I just punched up S670s. And so, again, you know, averages are, are useful. As a, I always looked at them as a starting point. But I think when you can look at different types of auction averages, then it gets really interesting. So the overall average so far this year on S670 Sold at auction is one hundred forty-two thousand nine hundred fifty bucks. Now that's going to include the twelve models that are tougher and the newer ones, but that's the overall average. All types of auctions. Average auction price on a consignment auction on an S six seventy right now is one hundred thirty-two thousand three hundred forty-five dollars. So about twelve thousand six hundred dollars less a consignment. But then you can look at the farm auction average this year. Now we would all know that it would be higher because this is Joe Farmer, our neighbor retiring, and hey, we like Joe, whatever. The average there is 173658 So now the average between the farm auction and the consignment auction, that's a $41,300 gap. And the last piece of this is the online auction, which people ask me wherever I go, hey, Pete, how do these online auctions compare? Well, my answer is before we had these filters was that they're getting closer. They're getting better. And our filter shows it. The average on an S670 and an online auction this year is basically 138.8. So that's $6,500 over the consignment average, but still well below the farm auction average. So what we want to do is just, you know, arm you with all these tools as a dealer, you know, whether you're on the ownership side, sales management, use manager, even marketing. I mean, look at where, where are the high prices coming from? Which right now, that was another point in our index, was geographically we're seeing differences in auction prices based on yields. 
we really saw it last year. Now it's happening again. So if you get parts of Northern Iowa where it's just burnt, and he, oh, here comes an auction with a two-year-old combine or a plant. I mean, guys aren't as positive there. Whereas if you get into other parts where the soybean yields are like record, even though the price sucks, this is like my my best yield ever. And guess what? Auction prices are higher there. So then it gets, you know, trying to be actionable off of that knowledge from a marketing standpoint. You know, again, where are these hard cash prices higher on whatever it is you're, you know, what, what's the pitch point? Planners, four-wheel drives, air drills, whatever. So we're fascinated by trying to use this data, arm you guys with it, and hopefully, you know, have to give a little more traction to get that extra half a percent or percent on the margin that we all know what, and it's an awesome business, but farm equipment business, man, when I talk to Wall Street people, they have no idea what the hell you guys got to go through on the margins. I mean, it's a, it's unbelievable, but like I say, if we can help you stretch it out, that's what we want to try and do. Yeah, I think the data that you guys, at machinepeat.com, what you guys are putting out is, is good stuff, and and the uh, the online market, online auction thing is is one of those deals that I really was, you know, five, six, seven years ago looking at that. I thought this is this is who's going to buy a two hundred thousand dollar piece on an right. auction that they've never even seen. Well, mm-hmm. it's pretty commonplace now. I mean, the generation of yep. folks that are out there now that are internet savvy um, are, are not shy about buying stuff like that. You take a guy. My dad would have a hard time buying something like that online, you know, and, and doing that. So, right. Um, right. But the online auction thing, I think, is for a dealer, my perspective, I like using the online auction because mm-hmm. I don't have any costs in trucking it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's off my lot. Right. It's all off my lot, and it is what it is, and they move on down. It yeah. saves me some extra money there. So I think it's, I think it's a, a it's going to be, it's going to get to be a bigger and bigger thing. I like, like what Solomon Auctions does, you know, what they do with, uh, and a lot of the other auction houses do the same thing, but the mm-hmm. the on-site online auction combo type deal, um, right? Which I think when you start looking at, like you were talking earlier with the Northern Iowa part where the guys were were burn up, crops were burning up, and and stuff like that. That online auction kind of is a leveler for that now, so you don't have the yes. the geographical region coming in and, and saying like, oh, it's bad. You know, some guy in Kansas might be buying that that combine out of Iowa and, and he doesn't care about right. what the, he's more concerned about what's happening in his area than he is what's happening in Iowa. Yeah, and you know, that's it's really fascinating case yeah. And I've been I've never really said this until just recently, but you know, and we work with eleven hundred auction companies all across North America and they're all our friends. They've been really helpful to me over the years as I built this niche business. Call them up back in the day and they give us the prices and we always we always will you know, try and help support their businesses. But it's interesting when you look at all the auction companies, a lot of them, it would mirror our farm population in terms of age of ownership. So you got a guy that's run this auction company, 72 or 68 or whatever. And what, and again, I'm a data guy. So I, we just look at the end results, how, how, how things sell on your sale. And then you compare them. And this is why I'm starting to just point out it's becoming more important who sells your equipment and how they utilize or don't, unfortunately, utilize the Internet. And that's Facebook, Twitter, and everything. Because, well, a good example would be in that area in Iowa 
that was, you know, very stressed. There was a sale on August 10th, which was the day the USDA crop report came out. Not the best day to have your, of course, who knew what it was going to be, but when that report came out, and it was like, oh, ouch, you know, more pressure. Well, you're having the sale, and it was a clean sale. It was a great auction company, but they sent me the report, and they've always scanned the sale bill, and they write the prices in and send it to me, but on the top of the sale bill, it said, Pete, it was the 80s today. So, you know, how, how do you mitigate that? It's by doing everything possible, every no no leaf unturned in terms of internet marketing to make sure that your customers in Nebraska or Kansas or Ohio on the other side or Texas where it's been raining, let those guys in Texas know there's a sale in Iowa. And like you were mentioning about farmers these days with just being more comfortable, um, I just I think it's more important who's selling your stuff and how they market it. Yeah, that's when you look at auction companies and and you are, you're trying to pick that guy that you want to to represent your your equipment that you're trying to get the most out of it that you can. It is absolutely so important to look at what they do as far as marketing goes, the online side of it, the um, posting right. sale bills, and and the amount of money that they're going to spend doing that. Because like you said in Nashville, you know, it's just the online side of this business is so so stinking important. I mean, you're just looking at the Facebook, the Twitters, the Snapchat, the, right. I mean, all those different form uh, areas. You know, here we are, I'm doing a podcast with you and, and you know, right. 15 years ago, this wasn't even a thing, you know? So, right. you know, here we are kind of working through this and, and, and doing all these different right. things to, of online, just spreading of information online as much as you can. And, and right. capturing that from a dealer side is, it's so important. You know, we have, we have a, uh, young lady that works for us and, and she's she is absolutely awesome shout out to regina nargis she's she's amazing i'm glad she's on my team but cool. she she does uh a lot of good stuff for our for our used equipment department but she also does a lot of stuff on facebook and twitter and all the different stuff for 21st right. and, and uh it's amazing what kind of coverage we get when she pops something out there with a lease payment or whatever it is right. so it's it's a it's a it's a big deal yeah, that's uh, well. Kudos to you guys for letting empowering her to do her thing because, like we talked about in Nashville, honestly, I I just mentioned the importance of this on the auction side, but we can't ignore the importance on the dealer side. And I again, I grew up around the business. I understand how swamped you guys are at every angle with everything that is involved in a dealership. And but if you really pull back. And you've got X number of used units for sale at your whatever, two, five, ten, twenty stores. You know, you want to get the most out of each one you can, right? Right. And then, well, it, we just haven't sat around thinking about what new tools and mechanisms are there to do that. But I think with the young people, as intuitive as they are to social media and cell phones, the trick I see and the opportunity is to unlock the, the good relationship you have with your customers that traded in that whatever to you. And so you can look on our site or Tractor House or Fastline and, I mean, look, how many S670s are there for sale? There's a lot. So Joe Farmer out there, he's looking, I mean, and I preach, you know, call your local dealer, that, you know, that's important, you have the relationship, that's important, but, there's an 800 of them for sale. So 
So how can you make the three that you have, or whatever, hopefully it's three, if it's not 30, whatever, but how can you make those pop? And that can be in surprisingly silly ways. And you think, how can I use Facebook to sell that? Well, you know, what? what is it that makes that farmer one of your best customers? And how can you capture that? Maybe it's a picture on his farm with the S670 with the barn in the background, sunshine, Western Nebraska harvest day. I don't know. But an image. And then we talked before, Casey, about if the price is right, stuff is moving. So can you, can you try and emotionally engage potential buyers in new ways rather than just a listing with a, with a list of specs? So I'm really intrigued by this to see if this can get better going forward, I'll be anxious to see. Yeah. It's amazing how many post notifications I get and, and on, on the various platforms that I'm on of social media that during planting season and harvest season, how much how much that spikes on for the farm population. You know, these right. guys, they're sitting in their combine or tractor yeah. or whatever it is that yeah. drives itself for hours on end, and they're just looking through what's right. going on, talking to people yep. and everything else. So they have a lot exactly. more, a lot more downtime in, in inside the cab um, than what people realize. So, well, I think Casey, a lot of them are going to be listening to your podcast. Get all this good information. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. Uh, you're doing an awesome job. So putting out information is a powerful thing. Great. Well, let's talk about uh, real quick, and we'll, we'll wrap her up here. But what do you have coming up on Machine Repeat TV? Oh, we we are pretty busy. We let's see, where were we? We were just we've been to sales in Indiana. We covered a Pefley auction that was fun to hit one of those big consignment auction. Uh, we were in Southeast Minnesota. I think those episodes are airing the next couple weeks. It was a retirement sale by three brothers. Uh, some nice Johnny equipment sold really well. Uh, we're going to just west of Columbus, Ohio, December 9th. That'll be a really interesting sale for the market to watch because there are two farm operations going together on the sale, ton of late model equipment, both red and green. So that'll be interesting. We might be getting down into Kentucky, uh, a week from Saturday to film a sale. We just kind of roll with it, look for nice sales and, uh, really appreciate all the, the heads up we get from our dealer friends around the country with local sales. So I'm hoping we can get, uh, down south for a couple sales, Texas and, uh, Alabama, Georgia, North Carolina, get down there and watch that good stuff sell and maybe out into the Pacific Northwest. I'd love to get out there and, uh, see some of that stuff sell. So it's just great fun. Well, well, Greg, um, where can they find you at on social media? Well, basically, you just type machine repeat into whether you're on Facebook or Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Type it in, we'll pop up. And of course, our website, machinerepeat.com. And just, I just want to say a tremendous thank you to your, you know, the dealers around the country for supporting us. And it's, uh, we, we value your support and we're, we're trying to bring competition into this space and, uh, deliver some new tools to help you guys market better. And at the same time, hopefully create a better website for farmers to search. So one of the fun things for me, Casey, I'm kind of a a loner guy. I I worked by myself for 24 years, loved it. But when I decided to partner my business with Farm Grow Media, did that for a number of reasons strategically. But one of the things I was excited about was getting a team around me of, of people that know stuff that I don't know. And on the technology side, our Chicago office, man, we got some 
awesome people. And, and our, our chief technology guy, Tony, is, is great. So we told him, you know, he's like, well, how can we make our site better? And we, we were talking, and we're like, well, it's frustrating when you're searching for any piece of equipment, you know, farmer or dealer, whatever. And you, you, the old way is, you know, I got to click on combines, and then John Deere, and then S670, and then all I want a 15 model, and I want a two-wheel drive. So Tony was like, got it. So if you go to our site now, there's a, a little, we call it open search right on top. And you can, you can search the old way, click, 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 click. Or you can just type it in, 2013 S670 two-wheel drive. And about a third of a second, say here's 130 of them. So we're hopeful on the dealer end. We know you guys have to look at this, you know, at this type of information all the time throughout the day. So hopefully just making it more seamless. And if you can find ones with duels, just type in duels or whatever it is that you're looking for. So we'll keep refining it and appreciate all the feedback from dealers. We really want to make this, you know, more usable for you guys and your customers. Well, great. Greg, I, I appreciate everything you've done for me and, 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 you know, having been able to, to do this kind of stuff with you is, is really awesome. So, man, if I can ever do anything for you, let me know. And, um, I will, uh, I'll see you down the road. Hey, good stuff, Casey. Thanks for having me on and, uh, yeah, keep rocking. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Greg Peterson for being my guest on this episode. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. This podcast can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Intune Radio, and Stitcher Radio. So until next time, let's go out and move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out.